The idea of this podcast is simple, discipleship. We want to bring the gospel message about how to interact with your coworkers, your culture, your friends, everyone around you in a biblical way, which is, in essence, discipleship. What did Jesus do when he came to this earth? He took the devil's stuff. The Bible actually teaches that the world is becoming increasingly covered with the knowledge of the glory of God. That should change everything in the mind of a Christian. Instead of thinking about all the ways society is failing, we should think about all the ways society must be, as Psalm 1101 tells us, put underneath the feet of Jesus in victory. The Rebel Alliance Podcast. We would be honored if you would join us. Welcome back to the Rebel Alliance Media Podcast. As always, you got Pootie and P-Nate in the studio. Nate, how are you doing today, my friend? I'm doing great. We are here on another beautiful evening. There's still some snow on the ground in Canada, so we're a little uh, upset about that. But uh, overall, I can't complain. I feel like we're coming out of the blues now because daylight savings time is passed. Yep. We now get that extra hour of sunlight, yep. which really, let's be honest, I feel like we make a bad trade with daylight saving times every year. I feel like we get like four months where we get an extra hour and then eight months where we lose an hour of daylight. I know it doesn't work that way, but no, this is the good one though. I know this is when we win. Oh, I see. But only for about four months. Yeah. I will tell you this though. When you have young kids at home, daylight savings is never a win. (laughs) No, No matter what, no matter what people tell you, whether you get an extra hour of sleep or you think you will. Daylight savings is always a loss when you have young kids at home. It sucks for them. Is this why you're so tired on Sunday? Yes. Well, that makes sense. Yes. Yes, totally. Um, So welcome back to Rebel Alliance. Uh, For those of you who are just joining with us, or if you're new to uh, following the Rebels, you can find us at rebelalliancemedia.com. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter. We'd love for you to interact with us there. And we are proud members of the Berean Media Network, uh, which is a group of four podcasts uh, who are all dedicated to bringing you sound theology through the airwaves. Um, and uh, you can find us, you can uh, find uh, The Front Pew, The Layman's Cup, The Two Thieves, all of the various podcasts at our Facebook page, which is just facebook.com slash Berean Media Network, and get in touch with all of them. They're doing some awesome work. And speaking of our friends of the Berean Media Network, I just want to take a second to call out The Two Thieves, all right? So our, our buddies, Justin and Brandon, The Two Thieves, I feel like they've been talking for a long time, Chris, about wanting a one-star review. They've been pushing for it. Almost. They've been pushing for it. Like some of the curmudgeonly kind of, you know, um, we'll, we'll say the the Grinch-like attitude of Justin, I think is really like hoping that he's going to get the one-star review. Guess what? We beat them to it. Well, <laughs> soon, we put our minds to it, you know, and we accomplished yeah. what we do in about a week. Yeah, about a you week. Know, about yeah. a week. So, Justin, take note. Uh, <laughs> So uh, Call it uh, down. so here's our here's our uh, one star review on uh, on our Facebook page. It's by a guy named Craig Stepanek, and Craig, if you're among our listeners, I don't know how you found us. If you're among our listeners, uh, reach out. We'd love to have you on the podcast. We'd love to talk about this because here's the one star review. He said, "You do not understand that God, or sorry, you do understand that God doesn't exist, right?" LMAO. So. That's, he's laughing at us. He's oh, that's laughing his butt off at us. So he basically gave us a one-star review because we don't know that God doesn't exist. So 
Here was my response. <laughs> I can't wait. So my response to him was, sorry to hear you say that, Craig, but actually, not only do we know that he does exist, but Paul tells us in Romans that everyone knows he exists, including you, but that you cling to arguments without merit in hopes to convince yourself that you aren't accountable to him. If you ever want to know more about the way to God, which is Jesus, let me know. <laughs> Pastor. <laughs> so, so that's our response to Craig. Uh, thanks for the one star review. With yeah, love. with love, with all love. Uh, thanks for the one star review. We'd love to talk, talk, talk to you further. And we even had a few of our friends, uh, Grant and Erica Van Brimmer, um, who are actually over on the Awakening Reformation podcast. They liked the comment. So they were watching the little interaction there. And uh, watched how I dealt with Craig, our one-star review. So, <laughs> you, so you, take that, two thieves. You, you dealt with him. <laughs> I dealt with him. <laughs> we got rid of him, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> so I just wanted to throw that out there. I'm sure Justin is is full of jealousy, and uh, and and you know, uh, not surprisingly so. You should get the jealousy under control, Justin, and just know that you know, even if you want to be curmudgeonly, even if you want to be hated, we do it better. Yeah. <laughs> All you really have to do is have Tim Bailey on the podcast and <laughs> yeah. you'll get that one star review in yeah. no time, eh? <laughs> yeah, so here, I mean, today's episode, uh, we're, we're in the Truth Apocalypse again. Uh, maybe you just joined us after, uh, because uh, you're one of the many uh, fans of Tim Bailey who tuned in for last week's episode and you've stuck with the Rebels. If so, thank you so much. We did get a lot of pushback from our episode with, with Pastor Bailey. Um, I w- I'll say this. He is not politically correct. No, there, there's. I don't know if he has a politically correct bone in his body. No, which is, is I, you said it yeah. in the interview. It's super refreshing. Totally. And yeah. we after like off off a uh, mic, I guess is the way to put that. Yeah. We talked about in it in real life. It, it's he in real life <laughs> IRL. Yeah. Is that the the, yeah. the acronym? I don't know. Um, anyway, but we talked about this. He's he's just really a throwback to what I think most people like most pastors and men of his age were yeah. like in the 50s. Yeah. And it's just that he feels so out of date now because of how, honestly, how far we've fallen right. since. Right. And how, how captive we've been taken by the world's ideology, right? And, and I mean, it's it just so clear. When I read his book, Grace of Shame, it was just so clear to me that I would, I would say adultery begins in the heart long before a man ever actually commits adultery on his wife because Jesus says that in the Sermon on the Mount. And yet we don't say that about the sin of homosexuality. So I, I get that there are a lot of our listeners who, who cringed a little when he said, we're all homos. But what he meant there is basically that we all have the sin of softness in our hearts and it, it starts there and we have to root it out there. Um, even even before it ever plays itself out in the act of homosexual intercourse. So um, that was a really challenging episode. I know it was challenging for some of our listeners. It was challenging for us, but uh, we were so thankful for Tim Bailey for coming on and kind of um, uh, helping us uh, get set straight, so to speak, on how we were thinking about that particular topic. Yeah, and if you haven't listened to that episode yet or turned it off or anything, <laughs> we do challenge you, go back. Yeah. For sure. Try, try sometimes just to listen and hear what he's saying. Not so much. I know some of our listeners were a little offended just the way things came out. Listen to what he's actually saying and remember that yeah. a lot of times where we get upset, it's only because we're being convicted. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> so uh, there was one more piece of rebel news that you wanted to get to before we uh, we jump into today's topic. We're still in the truth apocalypse, but what did you want to touch on? Yeah, I, I woke up this morning and I saw this. I don't know if this happened yesterday or it was today the day we're recording but Stephen Hawking has passed away yeah and so I, I confess I'm not a huge I'm obviously not a big fan of him um, I would say he was an enemy of the gospel but 
it, it hit me this morning that something I just never thought of. I hear about celebrities passing away all the time. I know people who pass away who don't know Christ. And it's always a tragedy. But something just hit me this morning about Stephen Hawking passing away that was almost overwhelming when I thought about the fact that a man who dedicated his life not just to living a, up like opposed to God, he, he set himself against God. Right. Out to disprove him, out to be a rebel against him the entire, his entire life, died and then woke, like what went to sleep or however he passed away. I don't even know those details. But one moment he was alive, and the next moment he was standing before God, right. fully, fully perfected at that moment. Yeah. But knowing that he was wrong, right. seeing the majesty of God, and realizing that he lived his life against that, right. and that just and, broke and, me. This and you say fully perfected. It, like I think what we mean by that is. I mean, he had so many limitations here in life, right? Like physical limitations, right? He he talked through the, uh, um, through the tech technology thing that he had. And, and, and so anybody who's seen him understands those limitations. So suddenly all of those limitations are stripped away, right? As he experiences the resurrection and he comes before Christ, right? And, and for the first time is able to express himself fully and the first expression he would have is one of regret and fear. That's a horrible thing. And and uh, I, I, one of the things, as you say that, like the the parable that comes to mind is the parable of the talents, right? And so, you know, talk about a guy who God gave so much to. And, you know, people could argue, you know, the Lord gives and the Lord takes. I mean, obviously he was restricted. He did have his limitations. But mentally, I mean, what that man could, was able to accomplish with the mind that God gave to him. But all of his accomplishments were in vain because none of them were done in faith. None of them were done for the advancement of the kingdom of God. It's, that, that's a lot of buried talent, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. And it just, it, it's heavy. It, it is heavy. It made me like realize the only thing that matters in this life. It doesn't, you can have all of the brain power of Stephen Hawking. You can have all of the fame, notoriety. You can have all of the wealth that he's acquired. And it means nothing if you don't have Christ. Yeah, absolutely. And I, know, I know that's easy to say. We always think about it. But... We, we go to our workplaces and we hear people like I, I went into my work this morning and everybody was like, oh, he's a great man. He was a great man. He was a hero. Yeah. And all I could think of is he is eternally getting what he desired. Yeah. Which is hell. life without God, life without Christ. And yeah. I can't imagine people going to the, going to the eternal state without having the blood of Christ to shield them from God's wrath. And it makes me just, everybody needs to know this. So if you're listening to this, if you're moved by the idea of Stephen Hawking, don't let, don't let the sun go down on anybody you love. No, without at least telling them what Christ is and who he is and what he's done. Yeah, so because you don't know, you could be here today, gone tomorrow. Right. Right. So yeah, that went really heavy on everyone. That did Sorry. go really heavy. Um, just before we, we take a break and get to our guest today, uh, let's introduce him. So we actually have David Shannon, uh, AKA the chocolate Knox, uh, from cross politic podcast, which is one of our favorite podcasts. Um, it's been really influential to us. We love what they're doing up there. Uh, and we have him on. We're continuing our Truth Apocalypse series. And this one, we're going to talk about race and racism. And uh, this is just a phenomenal interview. So I'm, I'm excited for people to hear it. Can I just point out, he has the greatest nickname in the history of chocolate nicknames. Chocolate Knox. The yeah. Chocolate Knox. I wish I could go by Chocolate Knox instead of Poogie. Ha- you could... <laughs> Like you could maybe go by Vanilla Knox. <laughs> let's, get that, let's get that tre- treading. I will be Vanilla Knox from here on out. No, cool. no, no, you can't. It's I don't decided. Even, you no. can't choose your own nickname. No. You, you can't. George couldn't choose T-Bone and, and you cannot choose Vanilla Knox. 
Cool. You try to choose Vanilla Knox, you're going to end up with what? something. George ended up with Coco the Monkey. What if I take a you different... Want, you want to be Coco the Monkey? <laughs> what, if, what if I just find a different reformer and be Vanilla that guy? Like Vanilla Luther? That doesn't really work. That doesn't really work. Know, we'll find one. All right, we'll keep working on with that. But uh, for now, let's go to break, and we'll come back with, uh, with Chalk Knox. <laughs> Chalk Knox. The Rebel Alliance podcast is about discipleship bringing the gospel message about how to interact in a biblical way with your family, friends, co-workers, and your culture. Would you like to be a part of this? Rebel Alliance Media is looking for financial sponsors. A one-time gift, a monthly donation, whatever you like. Contact the Rebels at info at rebelalliancemedia.com. That's info at rebelalliancemedia.com. Hey, everybody, you're listening to the Rebel Alliance Media. Uh, and if you really love them, you'll really, really probably sort of maybe like us. We are the Layman's Cup Podcast, and we are four guys seeking the truth one sip at a time. I'm Kemp, and I'm alongside Bob Sims, everybody. Hey, everybody. My man, Sean. What's up? And last but not least, say what's up to the people, Wes. Hey, what's up, people? Again, we are the Layman's Cup Podcast, and we are glad you guys are listening to the Rebel Alliance, but we really, really want you to listen to us. Layman's Cup Podcast. Well, we want to welcome uh, David Shannon to Rebel Alliance Media. Uh, some of you may know him more as the Chocolate Knox, uh, one of the hosts of Cross Politic podcast. Uh, he lives in Moscow, Idaho, with his wife and six kids. Uh, was previously an editor and producer of Burning Bush Communications in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and now owns a, and runs a multifaceted media company, The Chocolate Factory. So six kids. Six, yeah. Six and kids. You're, you're a busy man. And you were telling me just before we started recording here that uh, they they range from one to ten. So you really right. are a busy man. Yeah, God bless your wife. Oh, man, tell me about it, man. I, you guys need to send her an offering because she does a great job. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I do a lot of traveling because of the filmmaking and um, so she usually is super mom and when I get home so I, I do two things when I leave before I leave I make sure everybody gets a good spanking um, <laughs> just to remind them who's in charge you know and That's then right. when I come back I just shore it up a little bit uh, but no she does a great job and she's uh, very patient with me I'm very grateful for her so 13 years I, now married here yeah, so that's awesome. And I mean, you guys, uh, I might be uh, jumping out of a limb here, but you guys, you guys homeschool too, right? So, um, no, we started homeschooling. Homeschooling was the only option for us that we saw in the, in the past. And, yeah, yeah. uh, we, when we came to Moscow, Idaho, we realized that we had some wonderful helps in Logos. And so yeah, yeah. we, you know, we sent our kids to Logos and it was one of the best decisions we've ever made. We've ever, we never thought that anything other than homeschooling would ever be an option for us. And right. so very grateful for that. So this last year, Logos started to fill up and we're not into the school thing and the whole formats. And so I just assumed I can walk in and get my daughter registered for this next year. And I didn't do that. And so we ended up homeschooling her uh, this last, last year, but everybody else is going to Logos who can. So right but she's going back, man. She's going back fifth grade. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, um, what we kind of wanted to talk about today um, is uh, is race, and uh, and that can be kind of a dicey subject. We, we're kind of going through in uh, with the Rebel Alliance 
uh, a bit of a series where we're just kind of talking about the the lies of culture and and how they uh, contrast the truth of scripture and kind of where the church is bought into some of these cultural lies and yeah. uh, and so uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about race and racism and apparently because of my white privilege uh, I can't do that so oh. I had to bring you on to help me with that you know what I'm saying well I'm sorry for you man I lost my black <laughs> card a long time ago so I'm just as white as you are now. <laughs> I wish that my uh, I wish I wish that my uh, credit looked like it was white, but uh, <laughs> no, yeah, no, that's that's actually a horrible thing. Is that um, you know it's amazing that uh, white people now are limited to being able to speak on anything that would um, uh, change a culture. So you know, it, right now being white, if you try to say anything that would help, then you're automatically wrong because of the color of your skin, which is yeah. that's just ridiculous. That's ridiculous, yeah. you know, and so and I think that um, what's been the, the worst thing for me to see is that the church has actually bought into this. I think that because of the fact that people in the church are sensitive to um, justice and things being done rightly, that sometimes uh, the world can influence. Well, you guys aren't doing this. And the church says, oh, we're not. And then they rush to try and help. And then they embrace everything that the world says. They take the whole thing and the, the world loads this Trojan horse, right? They load all this, this thing that seems right, this thing that seems like we should be taking care uh, to do good, to exercise justice. But they load it with all these other things that end up having the church, um, Kitty Wampus by the time it's all said and done, you know? Right, right. Well, so, I mean, it has been a crazy year, right? So I don't want to minimize how we've gotten here, right? I mean, there, there seems to be uh, such a gr- groundswell of people um, that are accusing. I, I've never seen such a groundswell of people who accuse a potential national leader of being a fascist, a sexist, a racist, you know, um, a white supremacist. Um, and yet, we're told the white evangelicals voted him in. And then we've, we've had Charlottesville, we've had Black Lives Matter, we've had monuments to national heroes being threatened to be torn down, we've had NFL players kneeling, we've had white cops shooting black kids. So it really has been kind of a crazy year. Like, what the heck is happening? Well, nothing's changed from the year before, or the year before, or the year before, or the month before, or the years before. It's the same. Um, you know, we voted Obama in and we voted him in basic based on his race. <laughs> right? You know, uh, when we want to make um, race a voting block, we want to make our our views, our standards, our culture, um, uh, our separatist versions of voting block. And they'd be mad when other people don't vote the way we vote. And then when they vote the way that they they vote as far as based on their race and what's important to them, then we get mad at them. And it's like, well, how about we based, we vote based on a standard of righteousness, you know, based on a standard who's going to be best for the country instead of based on, well, he's black. I'm voting for him. He's going to be more for black people. So then I'm voting for him or he's going to be more for white people. When you create that kind of establishment, then you're going to lose if you're a minority. You don't right. win when you start saying, OK, I want my minority values represented and you're suppressed. Well, if you're the majority, you're going to be like, well, that's not going to work. I mean, if you look at Egypt, you know, back in the Bible time, they just were threatened by the fact that they were having more that the Jews were having more kids. 
let yeah. alone voting. <laughs> yeah. There was no yeah. voting there. They were just No. So if you really want to if you really want to as a minority group grow, um I think you just shut up, have kids and be faithful. <laughs> That's what you do. And and then you'll be enough of a threat that they'll figure out a way still to suppress you, but if you actually want to be successful, you don't try and and, and will power as a minority group. It doesn't work for you. You right. know. Right. And what, so you're talking earlier about kind of uh, racism almost being this this Trojan horse that the world has has uh, wheeled in, and and it, it's so loaded now. I, I mean, it, it's kind of easy sometimes to pick on prominent evangelical leaders. So I want to be careful here. Um, but uh, you know, a guy who's who's meant a whole lot to me in terms of helping form my theology is a guy uh, named Tim Keller who is obviously a name we know, and, and he wrote a, an article on the Gospel Coalition um, after the Charlottesville thing. And essentially, his article said three things. It said, uh, we, as Christians, we should condemn the alt-right with a full stop and not give any buts. We should condemn racism full stop and not give any buts. And we should be careful to speak into this emotionally charged topic, especially as white men. And and so when you have that sort of reaction from prominent evangelical reformed leaders, um, it it seems to kind of silence any meaningful conversation that the Bible can co- uh, bring to bear because That's it's exactly limiting right. the amount of people who can actually speak into this. Yeah. So, you know, this is a. I I, I think first of all I want to say I appreciate the fact that one of the things. Um, I think black people are struggling with is being seen for who they are, right? Like, so um, it, there's a, a lot of people who want to say, well, I don't see color. I don't see race. I don't, I, I well, then you don't see me because right, yeah. I'm, I'm a color. <laughs> I have a culture. <laughs> I have, I'm, you know, I have a race, um, a human race. Obviously I, I grant that, but when I want, we, people need to be seen. Uh, every tribe and every tongue is going to be seen in heaven. They're going to be represented there. And so <clears throat> I appreciate the fact that he's trying to be sensitive and trying to see and trying to be a part of, uh, of the conversation without being offensive. But when God wants to set up a representative for people who are mistreated, he doesn't have to pick one that looks like them. Mm-hmm. Um, and a great example of that would be an Acts where the women, I think it was the Greek women, if I remember correctly, or um, who are not getting food at the right. time when people came together. And so um, Peter is like, what, what, what are you talking about? Like, I don't have time for this. I'm trying to preach the word of God. Why don't you go ahead and get holy men from among you, men who are full of the Holy Spirit, and set them over to judge rightly, right? That's and right. So what Peter doesn't say is make sure they're a woman. Right. Because he would then all of a sudden they would understand what those women are going through. It doesn't say make sure that they're Greek. You know, he, he gave it. He gave for a holy man from among them who can judge rightly about the situation. So representation for an individual is not necessarily based on the fact that they look like them or have been in, in uh, in harmony or, or, or in um, or not that they have the same things intact. So you don't have to be from where I'm from. I don't have to right. be from you're from. But God's standard is over all of us. And if a man is full of the Holy Spirit, he is going to be sensitive naturally to those things because he's rep- he's covenantally representing God to man and man to God. So he's going to judge rightly on a situation, not not based on where he comes from. So I think that when we start doing this um like what he's doing hey we need to be sensitive about speaking to the subject what we're doing is robbing our brothers who are skilled and capable men and because of their white skin we're saying that they can't possibly have enough of the holy spirit to overwrite 
their personal um, allegiances or wow. their, their yeah. race, their color. You know, and it's like, well, that's not that's not true at all. We got to give this is almost as close to blasphemy. Mm. We have to allow the Holy Spirit to work through man to make right judgments because that's what God does. So if God gives you a white man that has a passion to see the restoration of a broken community, you don't say, wait, why don't you take a back seat? Yeah. And yeah. let us do it. No, no, no. This is a man God has given you is full of the Holy Spirit. So I'm more concerned about that. Is a man full of the Holy Spirit? Can, is he, you know, um, in their case, is he from among us? Does he understand the situation that's going on? Not as he, us. He didn't, he, no, he, he wasn't, Stephen wasn't a woman, <laughs> but yeah. he was from among them, right? right? And he understood what was going on. And so he can make wise decisions because he was full of the Holy Spirit. And and I think I think you're absolutely right. We're almost um, you, you use the term blasphemy, and I think it's it's actually the right term. We're essentially robbing God of His ability to speak into cultural issues if we silence the men who are declaring God's word. Right? Absolutely. So so there's you know it, in a sense it's God's word that's that's colorblind in terms of how it speaks into specific areas because you know God's it, it, throughout the Bible God uses men of and, and women of all kinds of different socioeconomic backgrounds, ethnic backgrounds. I mean, God makes sure to make, uh, you know, some, some very prominent non-Jewish people part of Jesus' lineage, right? Mm-hmm. To, to bring mm-hmm. in, the, the, you know, this kind of full orb, I can use anybody. He speaks through a donkey, for goodness sake. So the, the idea isn't, you know, who's the one speaking? The idea is that who's communicating God's truth? Yeah. And I I think also, too, it works the other way around. If white brothers aren't allowed to actually and there's two things there. If white brothers aren't allowed to speak into the situation, um, men who are full of the Holy Spirit, who are skilled to do so, then when it comes time on the other side, then black brothers can't speak then into the on the other side of the situation. It it doesn't just work one way. And so what we're doing is creating a separation that God hasn't created there. And so, I mean, throughout like you said earlier, throughout the Bible, we see, I mean, um, Nineveh, you know, here's a Jew. Right? He had the other problem, though, right? He's like, I don't want to go to those people, though. Right. Because because yeah. he, he knew God would forgive them. Right. Yes. Like, those yeah. dirty, no good people. No way. You know, but that was the judgment was that he wouldn't take the word of God to them. And so, I mean, part of it is that we're, we're judged rightly in some of the cases that we're going through because we're missing it. Um, I had a friend who was looking um, to have a, he wanted to fill his church and Piper does this too. And I love John Piper coming from a charismatic background. John Piper was like the man because he had passion in his preaching and he wasn't a boring Presbyterian preacher. Sorry, (laughs) Uh, but it's true. It's true. Um, And, and, but John Piper was searched and, and this is a big thing. I think in the acts 23 text, 29 churches, I can't remember the name of their text, but uh, they're looking for black, Elders, they're looking for <laughs> men of all nationalities uh, to be their elders, and I don't have a problem with that per se. If God brings you an elder and he ha- and that's his nationality, I have a problem if you're saying, "Well, he's black; he might not fit in good here." That's a problem, right? Right. But um, yeah. but they're purposely rejecting um, anybody that's not of a certain nationality, so that they can say, "Look, we found us a black elder in our churches that." can represent people now. Now people can see someone like them on the pulpit or around or preaching. And and I think it's uh, ridiculous because they need men who represent God, <laughs> not necessarily somebody's race. Yeah. And when you, uh, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God, not by hearing the word of God by somebody who looks like you. Right. Right. And so um, 
but that's a problem is that I think we're searching out for um, the wrong things when we have men who can actually lead and, and represent people regardless of the fact of their race or color. Well, and, and wouldn't you agree that it, it sort of perpetuates a, a, an actual racism if, if we are bringing affirmative action into the church and we're, you know what I mean? If we, if we're, um, when, when Paul says in Galatians five, that there's no longer Jew or Gentile, right? He's putting us all on the same platform. And so elders ought to be judged based on their merits according to the scriptures. They ought yeah. to be men who are hospitable, above reproach, right? The husband exactly. of one wife, believers, yeah. children who are believers. Like those yeah. are the qualifications. Preach, um, preach yeah. <laughs> so, um, so wouldn't you say that uh, the way in which the church has kind of bought into the, the, the fake racism of the culture is actually creating racism in the church? Um, yes, in, in one sense it is, absolutely. I think also, too, just to step back for a second, yeah. let's, not, let's not forget, though, that it hasn't been how it is now. We have actually, in the past, um, I think there's some things that we need to own in the church. And I say this own, and, and I mean this in uh, evangelical, my white brothers and sisters, my more reformed brothers and sisters. We need to own some things that I don't think it's comfortable for us to own. And so I think it's easy for us to hear this conversation that we're having right now yep. and and then to feel justified and not understand that there's a reason things are like this. Right. There have I mean, if um, I mean, going back, imagine had Martin Luther King not been turned away by white conservative seminaries. And instead of going to a liberal seminary, he was actually mm-hmm. going to a conservative seminary. Right. right. Here's a black man who wanted to go to a conservative Christian seminary and was rejected. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because of the very because of his race. And so, um, yes, there, there are some things that have happened in the past that have created the environment that we are currently having now, where even even recently in the in, in more recent years where we have brothers who are coming up, um, black brothers who are coming up in the Presbyterian um, uh, denomination who are it's hard for them to find churches. Hmm. It's hard for them to find churches after they get done and they have to go start new churches. And not a lot of people want to give money to um, the, the foundation of starting a, a black pastor starting the church. Like that's a real issue. Yeah. So, I had a friend that so had to leave the OPC because he couldn't – they wouldn't – they didn't want him to be a pastor. I mean they didn't say it publicly like that. No one would say of that. Of course not. But it, he, he, they, he couldn't find a church and there were reasons for that. It comes to be a PCA pastor, finds two, three, five churches, you know. So right. – um, there's also another side of the coin <laughs> that, for sure. Yeah. You know, so I, I just, just to keep that balance, but yeah, I think that, um, you're no, right. No, no, let's, is- let's stay on that for a minute because yeah. I'd love to hear your perspective cause you're absolutely right. And I, and, and we don't want to, um, j- just because the world has its agenda doesn't mean that we should make our agenda the antithesis of the world's agenda. Our agenda ought to be God's agenda. And right. so, so with, with those very real um, issues, I mean, what is the church's response? How do we respond biblically, do you think? This is tough. I don't think this is an easy thing at all because this is what I think a lot of black people see is that everyone wants to say that they're not one way. And then when we go to actually start exercising um, the work through or, or the systems are going through things, then all of a sudden people's un 
visible uh, prejudice show up, right? And then they don't consider it a a prejudice. They hide behind it. So you can't actually find, you can't just, you can't say you're being prejudiced. You're not wanting me. So it's hard to find. And that's part of the frustration, I think, in in a lot of black cultures that they don't even know. I think there's, um, well, people, even what people are getting at with white privilege, right? They're not actually getting at the fact that um, there's there's two different views of this though. But just because you're white, the skin color doesn't give you a certain privilege. There's a prominent privilege, right? There's the majority privilege, right? Right. And I think that they want to point to that and say majority privilege doesn't acknowledge these things in a case. But as a church, first of all, the first thing we do is first repent. We see the sin. We can obviously see what's gone on in the past. And we say, we don't want to create an environment like that. And where we, and we repent of it. And we said, that's not going to be the case. We just had, Sean Michael Lucas talk about lost uh, legacy of black Presbyterians. And um, he was talking about the fact that his church had bylaws with segregation in it wow. <laughs> up, until the, up until the 80s. Wow. And it's like, what? You know, yeah. And then you find that and you say, you know what? No. And you yeah. repent of it. We're not yeah. going to do that. That's not going to be something we're going to do here. We're going to treat all men with the love of Jesus Christ. And 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 our standard is to to love our neighbors, not to segregate because of our differences, but to unify under the, the blood of Jesus Christ. And you say we're going to repent of it. And then everywhere that you see, it doesn't always happen. Everything doesn't just go away. There's a right. process. You know, it goes through a process. And so you see this one big thing, and it's like, well, where else have we been failing in this, Lord? Oh well, we probably send you know the majority of our missionaries over to China, Africa, and you know the Middle East. But man, we got a huge mission field right behind us. Hmm. Man, what what if what if we actually planted a church in that mission field and and sent half of our finances over there? Um, you know what I mean? And, and so I, I think as you start working towards that type of thinking, then all of a sudden this 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 domino effect happens with relationships and. Oh, okay. So once you, I mean, honestly, you don't really get a chance to work this out until you guys are working together. Hmm. This has to, you you have to be sanctified. This has to rub together. You have to have some, some friction. You gotta, this is why I'm so opposed to the fact of my black brothers wanting to leave evangelicalism. First of all, let's define evangelicalism, but who who ultimately want to leave the reformed churches even because they're too white. And it's like, if you do that, then what you say you want, you won't get. Because yeah. you have to you have to come together and you have to rub each other and you have to have this friction so it can be sanctified, so it can be smooth, you know. Um, and so, I, first of all, it's repentance. In yeah. that repentance, it's it's it, um, in repentance, you're hoping you're binding yourselves back together instead of being separated and then working day to day in that process. And the more your our relationships grow with our brothers, we'll start seeing something we didn't see before. It's like, oh, man, I didn't even think about that. And a brother might say. Hey, man, you ever notice that y'all never get, you know, there's like 50 black people here in a church of 150 and you guys never have a black person pray on Sunday. Hmm. I don't even think that it's a thing for my white brother. They just didn't even think, you know, they right. didn't even think about it. That was that shame on you. Right. Yeah. yeah. You didn't even think about like, oh, my goodness, like, bro, my bad. OK, how about this? Sunday? You know, I, there's there's yeah. things I think that can naturally work out where it's not this. Let's remove everybody off the stage now. Let's put all the black people up. And it's like, right. no, it doesn't. It doesn't work like that. It works in relationship. And also, too, it works through right now. I'm at a church where my family is one of the only the only black family there, maybe <laughs> <laughs> maybe one other family. And, and I can't expect that my preferences to be acknowledged. What what the heck? Right. You know, I like a certain style of music and a certain tempo. Do I expect that they should do that for me because I'm the only black person? No, it doesn't work like that. 
When I hear you talking about that, you say it kind of happens in, in the context of relationship. I mean, one of the things I kind of wanted to ask, and, and I know this is a big question that we can't tackle in, you know, a 40 minute interview, but why is there that segregation, right? Like, why is it that a lot of churches, good Bible-believing churches, are there's the black version of it and there's the white version of it in the same town, and and we still see a lot of segregation in in uh, in churches. Is it because of preferences and all that sort of thing? But one of the solutions that I hear you saying is that it you know this starts in relationship. Like we 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 start to build oh, yeah. Christian community. And when, when my kids are growing up playing with your kids, then it's just a, a, a logical extension that then they also go to church together and worship together and pray together and eat together and all that, all that stuff. Talk a little bit uh, maybe about what, sure. what causes it and, and kind of what, you, what, what you're saying in terms of relational solutions. First of all, let's remember that this is not a new problem. Yeah. I mean, you have first century Christians and first um, the first church, they're working out even a, a more harsher view of this, which is Gentile versus and Jew. Yeah. <laughs> this, I mean, this is actually quite easy compared to that because yeah. we're talking about some clean and unclean, you know, yeah. like, you know, how did you get grafted in? Really? I've been, a, you know, <laughs> I got stripes of Judaism all over me, buddy. What do you have? Yeah. yeah. You know, you're lucky to be here amongst us. And that didn't and that could cover any race, you know, yeah. <laughs> that's what we so this isn't a new problem. This is this is an old problem that that is is uh, easily fixed, honestly. Um, and part of it, and I think, in our culture and Christianity too, I think we've been taught that preferences matter far too much. Mm, that's good. Because um, even in in regardless of race, when it comes to churches, just styles of churches. I like the pipe organ, or I like piano. I don't like drums. Well, I think we need some drums and a guitar. That's enough right there. People have separated, especially my Baptist brothers, uh, have separated <laughs> a lot just over the carpet color. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's not, I mean, that, that people's preferences have led the way on things. And, and so when it gets, those preferences start turning inward even more to how you're made up. If we think that it's easy to separate over music style, why wouldn't we separate over cultural preferences? You know, right? So, yeah. um, so I think that's that's a huge, huge part of it. When, so, let me just give you a brief story. Yeah, my wife do. and I came from a charismatic background. We started listening to Todd Friel from Wretched um, at the time. His TV show, his radio show, was called Talk to Walk, in, in Minneapolis, and it revolutionized how we thought about the Bible. Um, how we thought about God's word. If we begin to find some new life that we didn't have inside of Christianity before, and we said we want that, we begin to have a huge hunger for that. And so that kind of teaching led us down a road to leave the church we were at because we, and here's a crazy thing, the church that we were at didn't have, and the churches that were around us didn't look anything like Ty was talking about, you know, this exegetical preaching, this uh, non-prosperity gospel, all of a sudden, um, Jesus is uh, the Lord, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel, you know, it's just, none of the churches around us looked like that. We couldn't find churches around us that looked like that. Hmm. And so I finally called up to the radio show, Ty's pastor happened to be um, hosting the show, his uh, Bruce Connell is his name, and I said, "Man, what church do you pastor? Where do you?" And I was in just so desperate for a church, and I said, "Are black people welcome there?" And wow, yeah. <laughs> and and it, it was twenty miles away from us, and he said, "Man, we'd love to have you." Let me tell you something. Uh, my wife and I came to that church 
extremely nervous, very uncomfortable, um, because usually for us, church is a place that we get to relax. Black people especially is let go. We don't have to, you know, um, I'm going to tell some black secrets here, um, but <laughs> black people, their whole week is usually working around white people and having to deal with the, you know, what they say, touching the hair and the, the culture differences. And because it's at work, you can't really say much. So you just kind of go like smile and do your own thing and go about your own way. But when Sunday come, I get to go to church and be around my people. I get to let, let go. You know, I'm, I'm good. Uh, so, <laughs> so, so is that why you guys hang out there for like five hours? Is that, is that... <laughs> uh, yeah, that's part of it. That's okay. All right. It. Well, actually it's because of the food. After you get done eating, you, you got to take a nap. So, um, <laughs> But no, uh, so when we went to uh, the church, the first thing we thought of was how much cultural relationships and background that we were leaving hmm. to go to this new church. We didn't know if we would be understood, accepted. The way that we worshiped was far different from the way that they worshiped. How we felt about expressions was far different. <laughs> so when we walked in, I remember telling my wife, well, let's go meet the natives, you know, <laughs> and <laughs> Man, let me tell you something. Those people love the black off our skin. Wow. I'm telling you, they embraced us like family. We had our wedding at the church, and they were just loved us to death, just loved us to death. And we needed that so much because we were leaving one group of family. Sharon's grandmother was the pastor of that church that we were at growing wow. up. So so if we were leaving that and leaving what we knew, how we grew up for the last 20 years of understanding Christianity into a whole new world. And and they just loved us, man. They just loved us very well and, and let us be us. Hmm. And I don't think many people get that experience. Not many black people. They, I mean, when we, my wife's a singer. I played the drums and we joined the worship band that was there. And I said, hey, guys, I, I, I play a little wild. You know, I, I get it. <laughs> I really hit know? those drums. Yeah, I hit the drums. <laughs> yeah. you know? and, and my wife's like, hey, I kind of opened up. My, I really belt. And um. I said, hey, is, is it fine? And I remember the worship leader saying, hey, man, we're going to be us and we want you to be you. That's awesome. And and I remember that 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 situation and the first symbol hit. I remember the church going, what just happened? <laughs> it was a kind of a shock. And then after it was all done, I thought, they, oh, my goodness, they're going to kick me out of here. And everybody was like, I really enjoyed you. I want I want to be like that. I want to feel like that when I play, when I worship, when I sing. And um, hmm. and I realized that maybe the things that I thought would be deal breakers was actually unified. You know what I mean? Yeah. It brought us together in a way. And, and so they weren't going to act like me and I wasn't going to act like them. And that was all fine. Yeah. And we can enjoy each other. Yeah. You know, and so I, um, but most people don't get those type of setups. I don't think most people. Now, when I went to a Presbyterian church, I definitely didn't get that feel. <laughs> You know, that feel was completely different. I, I felt like I needed to, in, in Georgia especially, um, I felt like I needed to be a little more lockstep into what was going on there. I didn't feel like there was room to be unique in fellowship in, in anything, actually, not even just worship, but just anything. Interesting. So those are issues that we have to work through. But I knew I couldn't leave if I wanted it to get better. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, yeah, that's huge. That's huge. So. And and I think, I mean, that, that hits on a... a I don't want to say it goes deeper than race because I realize I'm I'm not one of the people who is um, I get I don't want to even say victimized but uh, I you know I I'm not the one primarily affected by racism in the church but you you've hit on almost a deeper issue and that is if we divide every time there is a oh. difference then 
the kingdom of God doesn't get any deeper, right? It, it just it, it gets wider. It doesn't get deeper. And, and, you know, if we take what Paul says seriously, that, you know, the church is only the church when every mem- member is functioning as the member God created it to be, we have to find a way to not divide over every little difference and yeah, preference, absolutely. as you said. Uh, yeah. yeah, no, but, I mean, this is sanctification, right? Yeah. Like sanctification, it, you, you have to go through that friction. You have to go through that tough state. I actually look at the situation that we're at now um, with the racial issues going on in the church. I see that as a, a form of revival hmm. um, and, and re- reformation. I don't see it necessarily as a, a horrible, bad thing. There are problems in it that I, I want to fix. But, I mean, just 15, 20 years ago, this conversation wasn't even happening, really. It was, yeah. it was. You had some racial reconciliation stuff kind of happening, but it, it really wasn't um, this broad to where it was hitting reform world in the same way. The more charismatic and denominations were kind of dealing with this, but the reform world wasn't, and it was hard to find. I mean, finding a reform black church was a night was nightmare. You wouldn't find one. You wouldn't find a, a reform mixed church. But just 15, 20 years removed, all of a sudden you have this explosion of multiculturalism happen mm. and reform theology. And it's like, has anybody stopped to look and say, thank God for this? Yeah. I mean, we have brothers who are, who are saying, you know what? We're going to, we're, we're full blown reformed. Yeah. We're, and I'm looking at where'd you come from? <laughs> well, you know. Well, and I think we could veer this conversation into a, something we'd really enjoy, but it'd be kind of off topic. And that is just in general, I think that has to do with so much of the pessimistic eschatology in the church that we mm. we can't celebrate when uh, when we see God doing good things, right? Because mm. because there's there's a, a deep seated pessimism that even if things are starting to go well. They're going to turn south real quick because you know the world's got to keep getting worse and worse. So I think that I think that has to do with a bad eschatology. But one other area, so this might be a left-hand turn as well. So it will seem like a left-hand turn based on uh, where we've been going. But it is an issue that I know is close to your heart, so I did want to touch on it. And yeah, yeah. Uh, and so we're we're uh, a few days removed from when we're recording here from Black History Month. And, uh, yeah. and I, I was just, uh, I, I was on the CrossPolitik website, and there was a great article that was written by Jason Farley there. Uh, it was called Black History Month's Startling Omission. And, uh, and he kind of mm. talks about how um, during Black History Month, we often uh, talk about both the heroes and the villains to, um, you know, who has perpetuated racism in North America and, and who's uh, been its heroes. And and no mention of Margaret Sanger, no mention of Planned Parenthood, and uh, and uh, some of the stats that I was just looking at, like twenty five thousand black babies aborted in America during Black History Month this year, and so yeah. I mean you you look at that and you think you know, adventures and missing the point, right? I mean we're we're talking about um, how to eradicate racism, and yeah. we're not talking about something that's uh, that that's actually affecting black culture and black lives in in very real and tangible ways so i just i, I wanted to give you the platform because i know this is an issue that's oh. <laughs> near and dear to your heart yeah. so i wanted to connect these uh, things so the whole reason everybody's wondering why i get the name john knox john knox uh i really love his passion for scotland um how he fought for scotland his passion for his people was just something that I acknowledge. I, I just admired so much that he loved them to 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 do that kind of hard work for them, um, that kind of praying, that kind of fighting. And I I look at my own people and I'm like, man, I have a passion to see them reform, to come to the biblical knowledge of Jesus Christ. As I was sitting in my charismatic church, you know, it was, it was hard 
to hear anything reform. Few things snuck through. But I, I say that because uh, the, when you, as you talk about abortion uh, and you talk about Margaret Sanger and those things are being silent, I mean, he's right about that. But I think that part of the problem, and this is not to let anybody off the hook, but part of the problem is that those numbers don't mean anything anymore. Hmm. They're just numbers. Right. They don't mean anything. And so we need to change our rhetoric a little bit and try and make that impactful, let that mean something, um, and, and try and tie it to say, you know, have, have police officers shot this many children in America, um, there would be a complete outrage from every part of America, not just Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter, Mexican Lives Matter, mm. Latino Lives Matter, <laughs> Asian Lives Matter. Everybody would have been up in arms about this many because it wouldn't matter that it was um, a race. It would be this – you're killing kids right. like this yeah. by the numbers. But it's even worse than that. It's worse than that because – it's the parents that are doing it. Yeah. It's even worse. And so I think that we need to readjust some of our rhetoric to try and make that impactful. People have lost that. When um, Emmett Till died, people knew that uh, white folks in the South were killing folks. That wasn't anything new. People knew that um, black people were getting dragged behind vehicles. People knew uh, how black people were treated in the South. That wasn't anything new. We all heard about it. But when Emmett Till was killed, they opened the casket. And that open casket that they had that ended up on Jet Magazine made people have to look at hmm. what was actually going on to the point that it, it struck a nerve. And everybody said, well, I don't want I don't care how I don't want that. Right. Yeah. I might not like black people, but nobody wants that. That's no well, I don't want that. Can't we just be civil? I mean, it changed kind of the tone of the whole conversation. And I think that as Christians and as, as brothers, we got to figure out a way to make that that rhetoric stick a little more. And I'm still working at that myself. But for my black brothers and sisters who those numbers don't impress them anymore, I think they, they have created an argument around the fact that, hey, if white people cared about black lives like they cared about abortion, um, then we probably wouldn't have that many abortions, hmm. right? If, if they cared robustly about black life instead of just the birthing process, then we wouldn't have that many abortions. And I've seen conservative people say, I am full or pro-life. And I'm sorry, but if you can't start at the point of birth, you can't be full orbed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that, you got to start there. To my black brothers who are who are trying to kind of overlook some of that, or they're part of it, but they don't really want to acknowledge. Like on Black History Month, nobody. I didn't see any of the name guys talk about Margaret Singer. You guys know that as far as your your minority status is based on the fact that you don't have children continuing to be born in America. This goes back to. What we were talking about earlier with the Old Testament and the Jews in Egypt, if you find yourself in an oppressed situation, what you don't do is kill your kids. Yeah. That's what the enemy does, right. right? When the enemy wants to suppress you and make sure that you stay in a minority situation, what they do is kill your kids. Right. right. <laughs> so the enemy is the one who kills your kids. So if you want to find out who the real enemy is, then look at who's destroying your children. Yeah. yeah. It's you. You don't have to be a minority status in America had you continue to have kids. Yeah. Well, you know, you're, you're looking at all your problems in here. You're blaming it over that way. But let's first assume responsibility for ourselves and say, man, you know, if we had, you know, these 30 million kids that we've aborted, how much different would America look? Yeah. I love where you took that because I guess maybe one of the ways that we're kind of perpetuating the racism is by – segregating these issues, right? So even I just said, you know, 25,000 black kids aborted uh, during Black History Month. If we can't unite around actual injustice, 
then of course we're going to, right? So, so it's not about the 25,000 black babies aborted in America during Black History Month. It's about the 90,000 babies aborted, period, right? Like that's, that's yeah. the issue. And if we can't come together in yeah. protection of our children, then, then what hope do we have to, to, to find churches that are full of the diversity that the kingdom of God is supposed to exemplify? Bro, let me tell you something. This is this is what gets me so mad about the um, the uh, Black Lives Matter and everybody with this. And I think Black Lives Matter understands some of this problem, but they don't preach it loud enough. But white people get killed by the police far more than black people do. Mm. Okay, and the thing is that hey, if you guys stop killing our children, it's like well, actually they're killing their kids just as much as they kill yours. So they're not being discriminatory. <laughs> they're, <laughs> they're just, just killing, killing kids. So so yeah. So so maybe the problem isn't the fact that the police are killing black kids. Maybe the problem is the fact that police are, have too much authority yeah. to do some of the stuff that they're doing. They don't see the full problem. But it, it, but my point is this: if they were to fix that problem. If they would say, hey, I, I think that black culture in one sense is the pulse of America. I, hmm. I think that we look at justice. We look at um, our forms of, hey, are we treating the minorities and people uh, in our culture, the Mexicans, are we treating them right based on slavery? Right. We can look to that and say we, we failed here. Let's not do that again. So uh, let's make sure that we don't make them slaves. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and they check the check uh, how we treat people based on that the black culture's pulse, right? And so in one sense, like, we can be the nerve that says, guys, you're missing it here, yep. right? We can be the nerve that say you're missing and, and I think that that's proven that we actually have that ability to make some noise. But if we don't ring right about which nerve is being hit yeah. or what, what they're missing it at, then we're drawing attention to the wrong thing, and they fix that, and there's still a problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know what I mean? And so if they looked at, at the Black Lives Matter and said, look, we have a police problem, period, right? And, and if people looked and said, look, it's not just about black people being killed. These police are, are outrageous. <laughs> they have an authority problem, period. And they're not, um, they're not functioning in a way that benefits society ultimately. If they start making that argument and showing all the cases, and I think they're, they're trying to do some of that better now, then I think they might be able to – if they solve that problem, they would solve the, their problem as well. Right. Um, a good business friend of mine who works for Amazon, he's like, you know, my job is not to – if I have a problem, it's because everybody else has a problem. So if I solve their problems, I usually can solve my problem too. Mm. You know, And so I, I think it's a lot of – in a lot of these cases, it's like they're seeing something that is a real issue. They are seeing something that we shouldn't have that much authority. Police should have uh, a, a little more restraint when it comes to things. Uh, I can tell you personally I've had those experiences with police officers even though I – I don't think I know that they we, black people don't get shot nearly as much as white people do when it comes or killed by the police. I can tell you that they're more willing to rough up hmm. black people way faster than they are white people. And they would use them as targets and deal with them a lot harsher. Um, that's just not just from experience. That's that's too. But also from experience, I know that to be the case. But if we point it to the fact that the authority is being overrun by the police officers, we might make a better case for um, how to deal with lives being lost to police shootings. Right. So it's almost like each minority group, or we'll just say kind of each, uh, each subculture is, is looking to be a, put a Band-Aid on its own cut, you know, as opposed to right. solving the big issue. And I go back to that. If we're not able to unite over injustice, then of course we're going to segregate yeah. over everything else. Well, and this is a church issue, Yeah, right? I, that, well, is, that's exactly, a... I, absolutely. I love seeing Albert Moeller the other day talk about the fact that 
hey, children are not to be just pushed out of the worship service. They're meant to be brought into the worship service. And let me tell you something. As a Presbyterian brother, I am happy to see him say that because he's moving a little closer. <laughs> but um, <laughs> Sanctification, but, uh, but, right? <laughs> <laughs> there we go. But what ultimately, too, is happening is the fact that um, when we have pushed children out of our, our church services and said that, that they are a nuisance and, a bo- and they're bothersome and they're in our way, if we're the cult that has been leading that culture, mm. what do we expect to happen to the children in society? Right. Well, they, they lose their value. They're not valuable in the same way anymore. And if you're a nuisance to me, then I can get rid of you. Right. And then we sit up here and complain about abortion when covenantly we're responsible for um, how the culture has viewed children. Right. Like so – yeah, I mean, of course we're having racial problems. Look at how the church capitulated in the time of slavery. Wow, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, of course, the, the, yeah, that's what's happening. Look look at how we capitulated just, I mean, early 1900s, charismatic brothers, uh, you know, they, they were all unified together and they had to split up because racially they couldn't couldn't make it yeah. work. Well, what do you what do you expect to happen? This so at some point if we want a certain type of church and culture what we can't continue to do is separate yeah. because obviously this is what separation gets us right. right here. My wife and I have adopted the – after going to that church, we've adopted the the attitude that you're just going to have to deal with us. <laughs> yeah, You know, we're here. You're going to have to deal with us. And let me tell you something, man. My my white brothers have come up to me and felt like, oh, man, I, you know, I need to talk to you about this because I don't agree with you. And it's been the best thing for both of hmm. us. It's been the best thing to actually have those conversations and work through those things because now they're like, I didn't see it that way. I didn't understand that. Oh, I didn't think police would ever do that to somebody. Part of the fix is local people being faithful, <laughs> not just um, – the conversation we're having now is, is, is great. But in order for this to be effective and we want to see real change, it's the local church, God's representative for cultural change, yep. right? The local church um, actually functioning in a local ability to impress its um, its rule over the local place that it has. Right. Right? Yeah, yeah. But apart from that, these conversations don't – they're great and they're, they're nice, but until the local church gets together – and starts practicing these things in unity and getting sanctified, rubbing off on each other, fighting, all those other things that they need to go through to iron it out. This doesn't bleed out anyone. This doesn't spread out to any other facets of the right. world until we as a church get worked through that. And so we can't have a, a conference and then it's all over. Right. It, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. Like, it, <laughs> it's, it's almost like God's plan for – uh, changing the world is by setting up a whole lot of small local churches that are modeling it to the world. Who would have thought that was the? <laughs> who'd have thought covenantal no. faithfulness matters? What is is no, that? What you're no, saying? Just take it, take it, <laughs> take it, brother, take it. No, absolutely. That's how it always works. Um, a man that's faithful in his home, Amen. and loves his his wife and uh, his children, teaches them to love the yeah. Lord, produces a certain type of right. fruit. And a man that's uh, I don't care what a man looks like. If he looks like he's faithful and he produces a certain type of fruit, I'm gonna tell you right now, there's something unfaithful going on underneath right. there. God is not random. Yeah faithfulness actually shows right. up you know you will see the fruit of what it is you produce right. eventually right. you know so if you're faithful it'll show itself if you're not faithful so if we see right now in our churches and in the things that are going on brokenness infighting separation anger towards each other lack of fellowship we don't have faithful mm-hmm. men and we need to repent absolutely so. it, just to kind of bring it kind of back to the uh, biblical example we keep using is in egypt Right, so Pharaoh's killing uh, 
the kids. First he tries to the midwives and then he just starts throwing them into the river. And God's people are faithful. They keep having kids. They end up putting some blood mm. on their doorposts, which doesn't make sense, <laughs> but they're obedient. And what happens? Yeah. God instead kills the children of the enemies of the people of God, sure. right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. This is, and I love that story because it goes even further. Um, God also baptizes yep. them, the real baptizo, <laughs> right? <laughs> they, don't, they, they don't come out. You know, eventually they get the, the, the very judgment that they are looking to put on the children of Israel. God gives it back to yeah. them in full because they're faithful. That's right. Right, because they're faithful to God. And, and so I think, again, this is why the church needs to be faithful. So find the, the way to win. Men, listen, boys— Become men. Mm. Marry a woman who loves the Lord. Raise your children to love the Lord. Serve in your local church, yep. right? Um, uh, serve and, and be a faithful man to the, to the word of God in your local church, however that is. Work hard, mm. <laughs> okay? Make lots of money <laughs> and then try and support the things that are also being – the companies and the, and the things that you know to be faithful to God. You support those things, right? You love You, you love your neighbor. Yeah. You've witnessed to your neighbor, yeah. you know, you exercise a form of theonomy over your own household before you see God's law established in the rest of the world. Until you're doing Amen. that, there's no you, you don't see anything else happening that's going to be um, you don't see any victory taking place apart from that. That's where the victory happens. Yeah. At. Amen. <laughs> that's where the victory yeah. happens. at. So in all these problems that we have going on until we start doing that. All these other problems that we're having are just going to continue to be what they are, if not get worse, until somebody repents. And that's – I think Pastor Toby says it best. It, the hope is is that it gets worse. Mm. The hope is that it gets worse so that we will fall to our knees and repent. Right. That's the hope. We want repentance to take place, and we want – I mean that's that's the core, faithful men loving God. Right? And so – it sounds like, I mean, I think we would all agree if we saw racism eradicated in North America, it would be a pretty amazing, extraordinary thing. But it, what I hear you saying is that the means to that extraordinary reality is very ordinary obedience. So yeah. simple. <laughs> it, it, it really right. is. Like everybody tries to make it hard, but it is. It's just right. ordinary obedience. What are you yeah. called to do? Be faithful in yeah. that. I mean, it, it, I know it seems very simple, but God hasn't given us some sort some sort of complex plan to victory. And and every time that we've tried to make one, we get what Peter got, which is rebuked. Yeah. That's right. You know? That's right. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. it's like he's trying to be well, no, 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 no. I just that's not what's supposed to happen. I need to go yeah. die. No, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> But you're right. It's through ordinary means, simple means that God has used. And he takes those foolish things to confound the wise. And, and that's why if you look at God's people, I love what Hannah Greaser says when uh, her book, uh, The Cloud You So Much Dread, is something that I've just been marinating on. She says, uh, if you don't know Jesus, if you don't know the prophets, if you don't know your Old Testament, if you don't know Job, then when hard times come and when troubles come, then you don't know what to mm. do because you don't know the stories. Yep. And, and just recently in my own life, I, I've, I realized um, it's so easy for us not to see ourselves in these stories. Yeah. <laughs> but, we, but we really are the children of Israel, so much so that we always think Egypt is better. Yeah. And, the, and, and with freedom, we forget that freedom looks like God in a desert. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. God in yeah. the desert being hungry, wow. yeah, yeah. right? <laughs> Wanting yeah. food. And God says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to my kitchen and make you some magic bread. And we say, God, the magic bread isn't yeah. good enough. We need meat. All right, here goes meat. We need water. I'll give you yeah. Christ. 
Yeah. <laughs> you know, we're never seeing that freedom actually is um, Christ in the desert and being faithful over time. And then he brings you into the promised land. And then when we get to the promised land, what we always do after all this, we say, God, we can't accomplish that right. goal. There's giants yeah. there. You know, <laughs> and so, again, being faithful over time, loving our families, doing those simple means brings down high kingdoms that are exalting themselves against the knowledge of Amen. Christ. And that's how we, Amen. End, you know. Amen. That's awesome. Uh, I, uh, I thanks for being so generous with your time. Uh, this has been this has oh, been such yeah. a great conversation and uh, and just such a great reminder that some of these issues, cultural issues that seem so big and so daunting and so impossible to fix, God has actually already prescribed the means by which they're fixed. And, uh, and, and we don't have to be uh, cultural strategists. We don't have to be um, the wisest men in the world. We need to be faithful men. And, uh, and thank God that he sent his spirit so that we can do that. Oh, man. I, I think everybody has their own form of prejudices that we need to work out. And unless we let the Holy Spirit like convict us of that, I think part of it, too, is sharing the gospel. Amen. Man, are you sharing the gospel with your neighbor? I had a, a I'll leave it alone after this, <laughs> but I had a, a, a white pastor friend of mine that I went to seminary with for a little bit. And he called me. He said, hey, man, I just started passing a church. And like my church is literally the, the church on the white side of the train tracks. And like the the other side is the black community. And he's like, there's a brother that's right next door. I really want to talk to him. Like, how do I, (laughs) I how do I engage him? You know, how do I talk to him? How do I talk to my black neighbor? Yeah. And it's so funny because (laughs) he he said, you know what? Never mind. I I just got it. I'm on the phone with my black friend asking him how to talk. He's like, that's horrible. I get it. All right. Yeah. And, you know, and, and so I didn't have to say anything, but it was just one of those things. I just, you know, it's like, yeah, you, you, you know, you messed yeah. up, you know, it's, it's easier than you think he's another human being. And if you treated him like that, we wouldn't have this problem. <laughs> right. Right now. <laughs> yeah. But, but it was all good. Right, intention. Right, right. He, he, he wanted to do something good and he just assumed something wrong. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. He, he was different than him so much so that he couldn't understand right. English or something. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but I think there's a lot of things like that in all of us. I assumed that my white brothers and sisters wouldn't accept me because I was different than they right. were. I celebrated different than they did. And so um, those things have to be put at the foot of the cross, and, and we have to go out there and, and meet each other and let let that sanctify us, sandpaper us, so that um, – we don't create a, a narrative about our white brothers that isn't true, and they don't create a narrative about us that isn't true. And we don't do that when we're separate from each other. We need to be together to do that. Amen. So. Amen. Well, uh, you might not call yourself a preacher, but uh, you can mic drop because that was a that that make a good sermon, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I'm, I'm jealous of you with all your degrees and passion for like, what, 10 years now? Man, that's amazing. Uh, thanks, man. Um, hey, I want to, uh, just before we sign off here, I just want to thank you for being on. And I want to give you a, a, a moment. Um, I, we push you guys all the time, Cross Politic. You guys are doing some awesome, awesome stuff. So, wow. um, so for all of our listeners, um, just give us some ideas of some of the things you're involved in and where can they uh, find some of your work. CrossPolitik is probably the, the best place, CrossPolitik.com. Um, thank you guys, by the way, for yeah. doing that, man. I appreciate that. Uh, it's a blessing. God has, has really grown CrossPolitik from a dream child that Gabe thought up, you know, and um, I never expected to be doing this. I, I know people who do it far better than I do, and God's just blessed it. And so thank you guys for, 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 for being a part, for supporting. So CrossPolitik.com was everything's there. We're, we start a club membership now, and looks like we're going to be going on a couple TV networks that's, as well. So that's, that's exciting. Awesome. That's so yeah. cool. 
Um, but yeah, best way to find out what we're doing is crosspolitik.com. We live stream every um, Sunday night at seven o'clock. We want to own the Sabbath. Have you close out your Sabbath with cross politics? So. Uh, that's awesome. Really appreciate all that you guys do. Really appreciate your time. And, uh, and thanks so much for coming on and, uh, and sharing with us. Well, that was a fantastic interview. Yeah. I, I had a great time chatting with him. Uh, he's a fantastic guy. So, so thanks so much uh, uh, for coming on the show, David. It feels weird. I feel he he told me to call him Knox, so Knox it is. Thanks for coming on the show, Knox. Um, it was awesome, and uh, and I loved where we got in that conversation. So that conversation. Uh, sometimes when we interview people, we kind of give them an idea of where we're going, but he was totally comfortable just seeing where the conversation went. And I love where it went, like getting to that place where. Um, racism happens in the culture because we don't know how to get along and show grace to mm-hmm. our brothers and sisters in Christ within the walls of the church. And, uh, and one of the things that we kind of chatted about, and, and I think what's implied in that conversation is he's saying, you know, um, if you don't have, like our church is not as diverse as I would love it to be, right? And so you might say, well, how do I practice that within the walls of our church if our church isn't diverse? And, and so I would just kind of say, why would God bring diversity into your church if you're not getting along with the people who are like you in your church already, right? Like, as Knox said, if you can't agree on carpet color, right, then then why, then why are we surprised that there's racism in the culture? And I would just say, why are you surprised that God's not bringing diversity into your church if you can't get along with the other people who are a lot like you? And so that just, it just it brings it back, right? The sin's in our own hearts, the sin is in our church, and this is what we keep hearing about in this Truth Apocalypse series is that the lies we bought into is, is pointing outside the walls of the church and saying that's where the sin is when the sin is always starting in our own hearts because judgment always begins in the house of the Lord. So I love where this is going. I love where that conversation was going, and I've been just enjoying the series. So, well, yeah. I hope, we hope you guys are also enjoying the series. We're having a lot of fun recording it and having these interviews um so please continue to like share us on facebook follow us on twitter and follow us on instagram and you know we have a website www.rebelalliancemedia.com feel free to check us out there as well have a great one guys see you